You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. People from Nanaimo and beyond rallied in the city's downtown today, just days after a local business owner was shot while trying to recover stolen property from an encampment. The protesters demanding all levels of government do more to keep violent repeat offenders off the streets. Kylie Stanton reports. Signs are held high, each one sending a different message. But these three words... Enough is enough! Sum it up. Enough is enough! Residents rallied in Nanaimo Thursday following a brazen shooting over the weekend that left a local business owner fighting for his life. He's going to be woken up today and he's, he's going to be okay. Clint Smith was part of a group who had decided to go into a homeless encampment to retrieve stolen property, allegedly taken from his business, Ernie's Black Point Repair. There was an altercation with the campers and shots were fired. Smith suffered a gunshot wound to the stomach. I carried this. The community now more shaken than ever. I will pull this and it's an alarm to, to, for me to feel safe. I don't feel safe in my neighborhood. We didn't grow up with this. I don't know what's going on. This is the number one problem. Despite the backlash, mayor and council members came out to show their support. We don't want to see our citizens feeling they can't go to our parks that they can't stay in their houses safely. But reiterated, there's only so much municipalities can do. Look, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but this is what people are concerned about. This is what they're talking about. This is what they want fixed. The official opposition is listening. The goal is to put pressure on higher levels of government to step in with real solutions. Here in Nanaimo and other communities across the province dealing with similar issues. It's unbelievable and it's not acceptable in BC. I wanted to come actually and hear directly from community members. I wanted to get a sense of their frustration because it's my job to bring it back to Victoria. In a statement, BC's Minister of Public Safety, Mike Farnworth, said, we are committed to working with all levels of government to strengthen enforcement, ensure there are consequences, and address the root causes of crime to end the cycle of reoffending and violence. But in the case of the shooting that spurred this rally, Nanaimo police have confirmed no arrests have been made. And the investigation is ongoing. Enough is enough! What's only fueling the community's cause. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Nanaimo. BCRCMP federal and international divisions say they have busted two separate drug production operations in Metro Vancouver capable of producing a massive amount of potentially lethal drugs. Jennifer Palmer reports. So magic mushrooms, uh, the, the street term for it. This is uh, a chemical precursor used in the production of uh, fentanyl. RCMP say what you see here is only one-fifth of what was seized in two separate and distinct cases. Major blow to the organized crime groups involved in this production. Hundreds of kilos of chemicals worth hundreds of thousands of dollars used to make fentanyl and MDMA or ecstasy, making it possible to potentially produce 262 million doses of fentanyl and 3 million doses of MDMA, Police chasing this investigation since April 2021. Multi-pronged approach to combating organized crime elements that are responsible for the importation, the production, the distribution of the toxic drugs that killed thousands of British Columbians in recent years. Some of the pills are believed to contain MDMA and then some of the pills are uh, believed to contain fentanyl. 
This evidence part of a multi-jurisdictional, transnational, organized crime investigation underway since September of 2022, resulting in millions of doses of potentially toxic drugs and drug-making chemicals being confiscated, including other illicit drugs, numerous firearms, cash and luxury goods. Both cases resulting in six people being arrested, at least one is known to police. As a result of these two major investigations, Hundreds of millions of potentially lethal doses of toxic drugs have been kept away from our communities. The web of these cases extensive with search warrants executed in Vancouver, Surrey, Burnaby, Richmond, Delta and North Vancouver. Police saying one location having advanced pill pressing operation that could potentially produce about 60,000 pills an hour. No charges have been laid yet. As for putting a stop to this type of crime or instituting harsher penalties... We're advocating and we're hoping that today this is also these successes are part or our advocacy uh, for appropriate sentencing. Jennifer Palma, Global News. In 2022, the toxic drug supply claimed nearly 2,300 lives and illicit fentanyl alone or in combination with other drugs accounted for approximately 82% of those fatalities. Data so far this year from the BC Coroner Service indicates there were 211 suspected illicit drug deaths in January. That is almost seven deaths per day. Two Edmonton police officers have been killed in the line of duty. The pair ambushed while responding to a family violence call. The suspect, just a teenager. The female victim, his own mother. Global's Sarah Reed has the latest. Police tape, flashing lights and patrol cars. All elements of a standard crime scene. But for the officers attending, it feels like anything but. The call they received on Thursday to investigate the deaths of two of their own. These people were doing their job. This is unthinkable. It's unimaginable. It's horrific. It's a tragedy. Edmonton police confirming two of its officers, Constable Travis Jordan and Constable Brett Ryan, were both killed in the line of duty. Every day, families of the police officers send their loved ones off to duty to work and hope they return home safely. This did not happen today for Ryan and Jordan families. Edmonton police say Constable Ryan and Jordan responded to a family dispute call at the Baywood apartment building in Inglewood just before 1 a.m. on Thursday. The pair entered the building and as they approached the suite were both shot by a young male. Their chief reporting neither officer had the chance to fire back. The gunman then turned the weapon on himself and died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Police say a woman related to the shooter was also taken to hospital and is in serious but stable condition. It's hard to believe, like, it happened so fast. Police say there is no longer a risk to the public, but those who live nearby say they're shaken up by the news. Well, that's devastating, man. That's terrible news. Tragic news that the city, police department, and all its members are now trying to process. We hold you in our hearts as you mourn this profound loss, and we mourn it with you. That morning later continued outside the medical examiner's office as a convoy of emergency workers escorted Constable Ryan and Jordan's bodies past officers honoring their fallen colleagues. A sign of fellowship and support during a time filled with grief. 
There are new allegations the Chinese government interfered in a recent Canadian election, this time at the municipal level. Canada's spy agency warned the former mayor that a Chinese diplomat was trying to influence last October's election. As Amadagahi reports, the revelation has drawn a strong response from local politicians. Sorry, I just want to be very measured in, in my comments. In perhaps his most emotional public statement since taking office as Vancouver's mayor, Ken Sim denounced allegations that foreign interference played a role in the municipal election in which he and his party resoundingly won last fall. And it's actually quite hurtful. You know, in any other industry, if you were to make insinuations without backing it up, that would be very problematic. Those allegations surfacing in an explosive article published in the Globe and Mail Thursday, in which the newspaper claims having access to a secret report from Canada's spy agency containing evidence a Chinese diplomat in Vancouver had actively interfered in the city's politics. In a statement, CSIS told Global News it can neither confirm or deny the authenticity of the information in the article. Uh, this was uh, two members of CSIS, uh, as far as I knew. They showed us their badges and everything. Former Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart says he was warned that China was interfering in the municipal election by CSIS, while the former Consul General Tong Zhongling was publicly speaking out against him. And I lost sizably. I mean, I lost by over 35,000 votes, so I don't think foreign interference uh, caused my loss. Um, but I am concerned in general as a Canadian, as a professor who studied this for 25 years, that we have to be concerned. If CSIS has real proof, then please arrest somebody. Please expel somebody. Do something about it. Just don't cast innuendo because it reflects on the entire Chinese community. I'll just say it. If, if, I, if I was uh, a Caucasian um, male, we're not having this conversation. In response to the claims, Kensim says it was hard work that won him the election and not any potential foreign interference. Emadagahi, Global News. And turning to provincial politics now, and the longtime MLA for Prince George Mackenzie has announced he won't be running again. Keith Baldry joins us live with more on the announcement from Mike Morris and an update on the by-elections to be held in B.C. Keith? Yeah, I really haven't seen much of Mike Morris around the legislature during this session. Just began last month. Uh, an indication that seemed to be checking out. So he's the, the latest uh, MLA to take him or herself out of the running. Here's a reminder. Remember, John Horgan, the former premier, and Melanie Mark are both resigning their seats. They haven't resigned yet. More on that in a moment. Once they resign, by-elections must be called within six months. But get ready to hear from more MLAs, not necessarily soon, but within months. Well, 15 to 20 MLAs not expected to seek re-election. That's a, a typical number on any election year. We're not in election year yet, although who knows, that's up to David Eby. Today, John Horgan, the former premier, now known as John as he likes to call himself, that's his writing. He was out there today in Souk for a new treatment center, health center, with Health Minister Adrian Dix. And Dix was the MC. Horgan hosted the event and talked about his current situation with the media. I, I don't know, uh, Lisa, what, uh, what the future holds. Uh, Ellie uh, and I are looking forward to whatever that might be. And uh, my uh, youngest son lives here in Souk, so I'm not going to be uh, uh, missing. I'm going to be here as much as I've ever been. And uh, I know that Maya and the council and, and others will, will, if they need any help, they, they have my number. So I'm, I'm not falling off the earth. I'm just uh, not answering your questions anymore. 
little humor there at the end. So again, his resignation hasn't occurred yet, but I'm told it will take formal effect on March 31st when he sends formal notice to the Speaker. And again, the by-election must be called six months uh, hence. Also, Melanie Mark's resignation, not clear when that's going to happen. Probably the same day. Both seats are very strong. NDP seats are expected to remain in the NDP camp. Well, that's uh, too bad he won't be answering our questions anymore, Keith. He gives good uh, headline yeah. clips. <laughs> Thank right. you, Keith. Residents of a White Rock condo say they're unfairly on the hook after an SUV crashed into their building. The accident happened in early December when the roads were slippery. As Julie Nolan reports, the owners are now being told ICBC will only cover a portion of the repairs due to the age of the building. Back in early December on a snowy night, two vehicles collided at this intersection, sending one vehicle flying directly into a condo complex. Luckily, no one was home when the vehicle crashed into this enclosed solarium. It seemed like a pretty straightforward claim with ICBC, but... It's not no fault, it's our fault, or it's going to be your fault. The problem, while damages totaled more than $33,000, ICBC took depreciation into account and refused to cover the entire amount, even with recent paintwork, leaving the strata on the hook for the remainder. Really cannot afford for us now to go to, you know, to all our owners and say, okay, you've got to come up with $6,000 now. This is a 55-plus building with 30 units, and most owners are on a fixed income. Strata Treasurer Ken Harverson says ICBC knocked off 30% of the damage claim using the building's value from back in 1988. If I put this in to, to our insurance company, guess what's going to happen? Our rates are going to go up. In a statement to Global News, ICBC says we base property damage settlements on the actual cash value, which includes depreciation. This is standard industry practice for auto insurers, and we're legally responsible on behalf of the BC-insured motorist who caused the damage to the property for restoring the property to the condition it was prior to the loss, not betterment of the property. And these guys are bullies. Local Liberal MLA and ICBC Shadow Minister Trevor Halford isn't holding back his criticism of the Crown Corporation's handling of this claim. Here we are under David Eby's ICBC, and we've got a house that's been smashed into, and these people are fighting to get it back to its original condition. We're actually standing on glass from an accident that happened months ago. That is completely unacceptable. With the Stratus $15,000 deductible far greater than the $6,000 remaining cost of the repairs, the Strata Council is faced with what to do next. Of course, being a monopoly, they can make the rules. Well, I'm sorry, but I just think morally it's wrong. For now, the Strata is in a holding pattern, hoping ICBC reverses their decision. Julie Nolan. Global News. Management of Vancouver's Hyatt Regency Hotel is apologizing after an Indigenous guest experienced racist and disturbing treatment last month. It happened at the end of February while the hotel was hosting meetings for the British Columbia Association of Aboriginal Friendship Centres. A cultural advisor says he was denied access to a bathroom by hotel staff and ended up losing control of his bladder. Along with apologizing, the hotel says it is retaining a cultural advisor and committing to learning from this incident and improving. Following the incident, the Association of Friendship Centres announced it would be pulling another of its planned events from the hotel. 
Canadian airlines have been fined for the chaotic service last summer and over the winter holidays. But considering just how bad things got at airports across the country, you might be surprised by the size of the penalties. That's next on the News Hour. A second backpack wearing pigeon. Yes, you heard that right. Pigeon has been caught at a lower mainland prison. What was found and how often officials say it's happening. Plus, a new study about the 2021 heat dome. What we can learn about extreme heat events and who is most at risk. Those stories coming up on the news hour tonight. Right now, though, the Canadian Transport Agency has hit the country's airlines with hundreds of fines for the travel chaos of last summer and the winter holiday season. But as Emily Lazatin reports, critics say the fines amount to a slap on the wrist and should be much higher. The Canadian Transportation Agency has hit some major airlines with fines for what they put passengers through last summer and during the winter holidays. The fines seem hefty, but travelers say it's weak and an insult. Hard to forget last December's winter storm. Travelers stuck on the runway, hundreds of canceled and delayed flights, and the lack of communication from airlines. Frustrations boiled over, leading to tens of thousands of complaints. Flair and WestJet racked up the most violations, but the CTA doled out the biggest fine to Sunwing at $126,000 for failing to keep passengers updated during delays, while WestJet was fined nearly $113,000. It's a joke. It's a joke. There's no food on the plane. You couldn't even get a coffee in the plane. It's just ridiculous. If the fines seem small, they are, according to air passenger advocates. The CTA can issue fines up to $25,000 for each individual case. Critics say the measly amounts do little to stop airlines from breaking rules. If you just issue a small amount of fine, even if it is double or triple the amount at stake, it is still just going to be a small overhead for cost of doing business because for every one case that they get fined, there are probably 49 others or 99 others when they don't get fined. And we are now currently working on modernizing and strengthening the, these rules. When it comes to taking decisions to investigate uh, violations by airlines to fine airlines, it's left up to, uh, to the Canadian Transportation Agency to decide based on the complaint and the facts that they discover. Ottawa is putting up close to $76 million to the CTA to deal with the backlog of complaints. However, critics say the process is so labor-intensive, it is impossible to get it done in a timely manner. Emily Lazatin, Global News. BC-based Pacific Coastal Airlines is suspending regular service between Vancouver and Cranbrook. The carrier says the last day on that route will be April 28th due to a pilot and engineer shortage. Pacific Coastal will continue to operate under a WestJet contract to Vancouver and Calgary using larger planes. Air Canada will still fly in and out of Cranbrook, but some say they would prefer to have a choice. What we're going to miss is the convenience, uh, certainly Pacific Coastal. Uh, we've had a great working relationship with them over the time they've been here. They've been excellent to work with. Uh, and they provided a service really of convenience for people uh, that was more direct uh, out of Cranbrook into Vancouver. I've been using Pacific Coastal for the past 10 years for flying for our family and flying my pet's cargo. They've been absolutely amazing, very reliable. Uh, I prefer them to most other um, airlines and they're also local so I'm shocked and definitely disappointed. A spokesperson for the Canadian Rockies International Airport says out of 280 seats per day in and out of Cranbrook 
18 will be affected by the Pacific Coastal cancellation. The airline previously suspended the route in early 2020 due to the pandemic, but it was reinstated later that year. Up next, a healthcare crisis for animals. Right now, we're kind of stealing vets from other countries who have just as much shortages as we do. The veterinarian shortage in BC and beyond and how it hits more than just pets. For the provincial government, why they're getting poor marks on old growth protection. Crews are on scene to a two-car crash here in Coquitlam, right in the middle of the intersection of Como Lake and Poirier. BCAA members save three cents per liter on fuel at Shell, plus 10% off in-store purchases and car washes. Conditions apply. Visit shell.ca slash BCAA. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, hive of a crash in Coquitlam. If you're finding it more difficult to find a veterinarian these days, you're not alone. Animal doctors are in short supply, not just in Canada, but around the world. Schools simply aren't graduating enough new veterinarians to meet the demand. And as Jasmine Baller reports, the shortage is approaching a crisis. There we go. Two kilos. So you've gained weight. That's good. From lizards to dogs. It's one appointment after the other for this veterinarian, working six days a week to take care of Dudney yeah. Animal Hospital's 5,000 clients. Thank you, yes. I mean, I can only work 60, 70 hours a week. That's, that's my limit, I can't do any more. From being a four vet practice before COVID to now just one. And it's not from a lack of trying. Well, I've had an ad up for a vet for 12 months and I've had five applicants. Too many patients and not enough vets. I'm stuck in that I can't send them to my competitors. They're equally as short-staffed. A 2019 study by the Canadian Veterinary Medical Association found BC needs more than 100 new vets every year to keep up with demand and turnover. But there aren't enough graduates to fill that need. There are only five veterinary schools in the country, but out of the two in Western Canada, only Saskatoon's takes BC students. We're taking this seriously and working hard to, to fill those gaps. The province subsidized 40 seats this year for BC students attending the Saskatoon Vet College, bringing their tuition down to just $11,000. But the clock is ticking. What's happened now is the students are wondering about next year, when the, the next session starts in September, are we going to still get all of them subsidized? That's why Peyton wrote to the post-secondary education minister, calling on the province to continue the funding. And while no official announcement has been made... And that's going to continue, so that's 40 BC veterinarians being trained every year and graduating. Some hopeful news for vets in training and those in the industry working long hours. Jasmbala, Global News. The province will spend $5 million to help protect B.C. farm animals from disease. The plan is to allow farmers to respond quickly to outbreaks. The province is investing in planning, research and biosecurity measures to protect against diseases such as avian influenza, swine fever and foot and mouth disease. The money will also allow farmers to buy equipment that would help them respond to an outbreak. The agriculture minister calls the cash infusion an important step in protecting B.C.'s food supply.
A group of environmental organizations has released a report card on the NDP government's record on protecting old growth forests. As Paul Johnson reports, perhaps not surprisingly, they are giving the province a failing grade. Rust never sleeps, nor apparently does the movement to stop the clear-cutting of BC's remaining old-growth forests. Here was the scene recently at the BC Legislature, where dozens of conservation groups and, yes, Neil Young, turned out to keep the issue at play. Thursday, they came out with this. The majority of the most at-risk old-growth forest continues to be at risk. Jens Weeding is with the Sierra Club of BC one of three groups behind the new report card on old growth. With three Ds and two Fs, any guess whether these are the kinds of marks Premier Eby will take home to show the family? The equivalent of 3,600 Stanley Parks remains open to logging, some of the last endangered old growth forests here in BC. Weeding says much of the forest they're worried about includes stands of temperate rainforest on Vancouver Island and patches of the globally rare inland temperate rainforest in central B.C. Almost three years ago, the province came out with a highly touted three-year strategy on old growth. With six months left to go, weeding sees them following through on few of those promises. We are nowhere close to implementation of the three-year promise. We reached out to B.C.'s Ministry of Forests for reaction, but didn't hear back in time for this report. While several forest activists have told Global News they've been hopeful because some of the things David Eby has said since becoming premier, to date, they say it's not translated into meaningful new protection for B.C.'s remaining ancient forests. Paul Johnson, Global News. And in a statement late this afternoon, Forest Minister Bruce Ralston says the government is accelerating its work to protect old-growth forests, deferring an unprecedented 2.1 million hectares and working to address all of the recommendations in the old-growth strategic review. The federal government is extending funding for the marine training program. The initiative is designed to increase access and awareness for marine industry jobs with a focus on underrepresented groups. On the West Coast, the program is run through BCIT and Camosun College. Since its inception, more than 600 people have gone through the program and found jobs with the Coast Guard, BC Ferries and other marine industry employers. The $30 million funding boost announced today will keep the program running for at least four more years. Coming up, a pigeon with a backpack in a prison. It's no joke where it was recently caught and what corrections officials are saying about it. Plus, recognize anything? Burnaby RCMP warning about the new target of thieves and hoping to reunite some of this stolen property with the rightful owners. Here we are over at the Patello Bridge, and traffic is in decent shape both ways. Most of the congestion is on that Columbia on-ramp to head south. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. Interest you in Global One at the Patello Bridge. An investigation into break-and-enters targeting homes under construction has resulted in a seizure of a significant amount of stolen property. Burnaby RCMP say homes in Burnaby, Coquitlam, West Vancouver 
and potentially southeastern B.C. were targeted between September and February. High-end items were stolen, including appliances, home furnishings, and fixtures. Some individual items are worth as many as $25,000, with many still in their original packaging. Search warrants executed at two properties in the Lower Mainland and one in Creston found two shipping containers packed full. One man has been arrested, but the investigation is ongoing. Anyone who thinks they may have had items stolen is asked to contact Burnaby RCMP's Strike Force Unit. For the second time in just a few months, prison guards have discovered a backpack-equipped smuggling pigeon. The bird was found during a routine search at Matsqui Institution on February 27th. Its backpack, which was empty, was made of cut-up jeans and bedsheets, and it's believed the bird was being trained by inmates to smuggle goods in or out of the prison. Back on December 29th, another backpack toting pigeon was found at the Pacific Institution. Its backpack was carrying crystal meth. It looks like they were potentially training this one to uh, to eventually bring in a package because they they didn't find anything in the uh, I guess the backpack that was secured to the pigeon. A lot of it right now is really correction officer presence and diligence and and really searching and watching the skies i guess it's it's kind of funny to say that but really just looking up the union says drones carrying contraband are a far bigger problem than pigeons they're more reliable and can carry more and they say are being spotted nearly every day a new study shows people living with schizophrenia are at higher risk of death during extreme heat events. Researchers looked at the risks for people with different chronic conditions in B.C. during the heat dome of 2021. Richard Zussman has more. It was the most extreme heat event in B.C.'s history. 740 more deaths than usual in the province due to the 2021 heat dome and researchers went looking for answers. We wanted to know who is the most at risk of dying during the 2021 heat dome so that we can better prepare for future extreme heat events. What the BC CDC report recently published in GeoHealth found is those with schizophrenia are at highest risk during extreme heat events. In non-heat-related deaths, people living with schizophrenia make up about 3.9% of cases. In heat events, it soars to nearly 14%, meaning the risk of death is three times higher in those events. People with schizophrenia often suffer from a condition called anosognosia, and anosognosia prevents a person from perceiving their own health status. The study compared the prevalence of 26 chronic conditions among people who died during the heat wave and those who died on similar dates over the previous nine years, finding all kinds of mental illness led to higher risk. In 41.2% of non-related deaths, depression was a diagnosis. That goes up to nearly 60% in heat-related deaths. It's really up to all of us to reach out to those people in our lives, you know, see if they understand that they might be at increased risk, talk with them about whether they have a plan in place for staying cool. Schizophrenia may also lead to social isolation and lower socioeconomic status, both risk factors for death during extreme events. The province has made numerous changes around communicating heat events, including text alerts and more proactive warnings to reach those at highest risk. When we're dealing with healthcare, we have to deal with broader social determinants of health, and we have to deal and provide supports for people with chronic illnesses. 
also at play. Some medications used to treat schizophrenia can play a role in overheating. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Up next, they don't call it Raincouver for nothing. Although I'm not sure who calls it that. But anyway, the Vancouver Project aimed at finding a use for all that rain. Plus. The weakest link is the person standing behind the, the computer screen. So making sure they don't click on something or they you know, don't give the wrong information. Cyber security. While the crimes may be high tech, there are some low tech solutions to help protect yourself. That's still to come. Well, the federal government and the city of Vancouver are committing more than $36 million in funding for the city's Rain City strategy. One of the main goals of that program is to gather much of the rain that falls on Vancouver and reuse it. To make that happen, many changes will need to be made to how buildings and roads are designed and built, as well as the city's sewer and drainage systems. Ottawa is contributing nearly $19 million for the project, with the city kicking in another $17 million. With the increase in flood and climate-related challenges, investing in natural infrastructure is a way for communities to use their ecosystems to improve quality of life, reduce pollution, enhance biodiversity and build resilience to climate change. Under the strategy, the goal for 2050 is to capture 90% of rainfall and 40% of runoff for reuse. Let's bring in our weather specialist, Steph Flory, now for a look at our forecast. And hopefully we won't be collecting any rain, at least for the next few days. It's finally going to be the last weekend of winter this weekend and the sunshine is arriving just in time. Just a gorgeous day. Not much even in the way of cloud cover. This ridge has been building. We're going to see more beautiful day tomorrow across the entire province. So all of BC going to be getting some vitamin D. We will drop to zero through the overnight. We will see those winds pick up those northwesterlies. We are going to be hitting about a high of 11 degrees here by the water and then inland up to 15 degrees. So we have a gorgeous day ahead of us. How long will this last? That is the big question. So this ridge is building. All of the province going to see not much other than a little bit of cloud. We'll see some fog through the valleys. And you can see here behind me, we do have a system that's coming. We'll see that change arriving late day Sunday. The island likely to see some showers a little bit earlier than us here on the mainland. There's a look at northern BC tomorrow. Sandspit, just a chance of showers. We've got some gusty winds on the coast there. We've got that morning fog, but that will also dissipate. We're looking at a high of six degrees for Prince George, six for Smithers. As we look here at southern BC, we are back to our seasonal temperatures, but it will be very chilly start. So minus three for Kelowna, that'll feel closer to minus 10. Whistler as well, expecting to be a very chilly start with a wind chill tomorrow. And there's Vancouver Island. Look at these temperatures between nine and 13 degrees, just absolutely stellar. A little bit of cloud cover between 11 and 15 degrees for the lower mainland. And for your five-day forecast, we've got St. Patrick's Day tomorrow, and we're looking at sun Sunshine for Saturday, that change arrives on Sunday and then Monday into Tuesday. That's when we're going to be seeing that risk of some showers. Here's a look at our weather window. Janine sent this photo in. This is our central windows. Uh, herring spawn on the east coast of Vancouver Island. You can see that that is making that blue extra turquoise as well as attracting all that birds and wildlife there. I love this photo. It's a flurry of activity. <laughs> sure is. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Steph. All right. Squire Barnes is here now. Um, a name we haven't uh, heard for a while. Squire. I know. It's a name I always love saying. I know. It rolls off the tongue. It does. Solomon Elamimian. 
So it was always fun to say. He is going to the Canadian Football Hall of Fame, and he says he owes Canada for his career. You know, I, I was done. The NFL didn't want me, and I never knew about Canada. And, and so CFL provided me an avenue to showcase my talents. He is an obvious choice. He certainly is one of the greatest BC Lions ever. And later, staying safe at work. How more and more it's a matter of online security. all about the mullets in Phoenix. Well, the Canucks are playing in Mullet Arena tonight against the Arizona Coyotes. Now, you would think, oh, that is a reference to hockey here. But think. no, it's because the mullet family gave money and the arena was... So there. they get to name They get to they call want. it the arena. Yeah. I wonder if that family actually has any mullets. Uh, anyway, the uh, Canucks will likely go with the uh, same lineup that beat Dallas on Tuesday when they play Arizona tonight. The Coyotes, of course, were the team that was once coached by Rick Tockett. Um, he has the Canucks on a roll right now, although Arizona is not bad at home, actually, in that little arena. Uh, the Canucks have won five in a row, but, of course, Vancouver's chances of making the playoffs has been like this for a long time. Okay, uh, this was a weird game. Montreal in Florida. In the first period, for the 12th time in NHL history, there were 10 goals. Seven of them by Carter Verhage and Florida. He had two. It was 7-3 Florida after one period. And Matthew Kachuk's goal here made it 9-4 in the second. But Florida didn't score again, and they held on for a 9-5 win over Montreal. There are three former or current BC Lions named for induction into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. Former defensive back Larry Crawford, who is BC's all-time interception leader, Current Lions defensive coach John Bowman, who was a sack machine when he played for Montreal, and, as we said before the break, one of the best BC Lions ever. Linebacker Solomon Alamimian, who, of course, was the outstanding player in 2014, he said one of the hardest things he had to do at the start of his career in BC was getting along with head coach Wally Buono. But in the end, they became friends. You know, the first three or four years, we went at it. We didn't probably like each other, and he thought that I was. I, it was a strange relationship. And then once I won Most Outstanding Player, it really was a father-son relationship where, you know what, I really looked up to him. The Canadian News. Let me do that again. The Canadian University Women's Volleyball Championships is going on at uh, UBC starting tomorrow. Trinity Western is ranked number one. UBC is ranked seventh. But their head coach Doug Reimer is an X factor here. Because nobody knows how to win national titles in volleyball better than he does. Yes, yes. Doug Reimer is U Sports' winningest women's volleyball coach ever. He's got nine national titles, eight of them at UBC, where he is now in his 26th season leading the Thunderbirds. His resume speaks for itself, so when he talks, his players listen. But over the years, Reimer's become a real good listener, too. These are student athletes and the student piece is important and their life piece is important. And as I get older as a coach, seeing all the great things that they do as they move on professionally, personally, is actually one of the most rewarding aspects of this job. 
Doug has such an amazing sense of humor, um, and he cares about his athletes. I mean, being at UBC, obviously, like academically, it can be really tough, um, and that's super important to him to make sure that we're on top of school and we're people and humans before we're volleyball players, basically. Van Rijk again through the hands and down. The UBC Thunderbirds are U Sports champions. But he's obviously a great tactician and teacher too, and that attracts talented players to the program, making UBC a threat to win a national title every season. Reimer's lost count how many national tournaments he's coached in, somewhere over 20, he says. The history that he has within volleyball, he knows what he's doing. He knows that there's, it's not going to look the same every single time, regardless of how many times he's done it before. Ability to manage is something that's really good. He's used to it, but he also knows there's going to be bumps and curves, so he's a pro, obviously. Reimer's pretty much seen and done it all, but one thing he hasn't done is host a Nationals, which UBC is doing this weekend. They are the number seven seed of eight, meaning they would have to pull some upsets, but you know Reimer will have his team ready in his own unique way. You got to remind him, hey, we get to do this. <laughs> We're fortunate. And it's trying to maintain that sometimes, like kind of zoom out on that. And huh, let's remember to breathe. So last night, Edwin Diaz struck out the side in the ninth to help Puerto Rico beat the Dominican Republic at the World Baseball Classic. But during the celebrations, where players were jumping around like House of Pain, Diaz felt a house of pain because he tore a tendon in his right knee celebrating and he might miss the entire Major League season with the New York Mets because of it. There he is going off in a wheelchair. Oh, no. Careful how you celebrate. Seriously. Okay. A long time ago, I remember a baseball pitcher actually wrecked his hand doing some crazy handshake. That's also true. No celebrating then. No, we're not going to touch. Up next, the growing threat to businesses and how you could protect yourself. High five. with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, a major development tonight in the proposal for an organic waste facility in South Burnaby. Mayor Mike Hurley says he's heard the outcry from residents and he wants to find a different location for it. Plus, there is a giant spider under an overpass in Vancouver. Don't worry, it's not real. It's allegedly art and allegedly made of car parts. At 11, we'll tell you Who's behind this bizarre installation where you can see it for yourself or if you don't like spiders, which part of town to avoid? Sophie? Hey, I'm not going there. <laughs> Stay no. away. Thanks, I think, Jordan. <laughs> Thank you. A rise in cyber attacks is making security top of mind, not only for companies big and small, but also everyday people. Global's Rosanna Hempel reports on the rise in demand for IT services and steps you can take to protect yourself. Thank you for calling Constant City. When the phone rings at this business, it usually means a caller's already suffered a cyber attack. Their data's been compromised, and it's not looking good. Just don't think it's not going to happen to you. Just because you live in Winnipeg or, or somewhere in Canada, uh, or you're a small business, uh, it, it doesn't mean anything. 
Jason Kalaski is the president and CEO of Constant C Technology Group. He says cybersecurity awareness is growing, especially since the pandemic forced a lot of people to work from home. And companies are willing to spend more money on actually securing their environments now, where in the, in the past it was, no, it won't happen to me. Not only are more businesses asking for services, cybersecurity instructor Sergio Gonzalez says course enrollment is also picking up. Not only people from uh, IT, we have people joining from uh, other uh, industries, even people that don't, don't have uh, any, any background related to IT or to technology at all. But strategist Ritesh Kotak says people should practice better online habits in a rapidly changing landscape. They still look at it as a checkbox exercise. We're very reactive instead of being proactive, and that needs to shift. And once that shifts, um, businesses and society in general will be less vulnerable. Kotak says, fortunately, a lot of high-tech crimes have affordable, low-tech solutions, including making sure your software is up to date, monitoring who has access to your accounts and setting up alerts, and using multi-factor authentication. But Kalaski cautions, nothing is 100%, no matter how good your technology is or how much money you spend. The weakest link is the person standing behind the, the computer screen. So making sure they don't click on something or they you know, don't give the wrong information. Kalaski recommends companies give their employees monthly awareness training and make sure their servers are backed up and tested. It can mean the difference between being online one day and offline the next. Rosanna Hempel, Global News. I just can't remember my password. That's the problem. One, two, three, four, five, hard. six, seven. Is that your password? I thought that was Well, yours. now you have to change it. Oh, okay, I'll sure flip do. the six and the seven. <laughs> have a good night, everyone.